good reminder in that song that God is good to us. And we will remind ourselves of that over and over as we think about our worship. And we remind ourselves of that as we think about our walk with Him and our faith with Him. That God is good to us. We appreciate everybody being with us this evening. If you got your Bible, turn with us to the book of Job. We are wrapping up a three-part series this evening on the book of Job. And we are delighted to have each of you with us. Sure appreciate Jason's lesson this morning about singing. As we end our lesson this, this evening, we're going to go back to some songs and refer to some songs. And singing is such a valuable part of our lives. We have learned our ABCs through a song. We've learned the books of the Bible through songs. If there's a birthday, there comes a song. Uh, every team has a song. But in here, we praise our God through song. Not everybody can preach, not everybody can pray, not everybody can teach, but we all can sing. And you may not sing well, you stand right beside me, that's okay, but we can sing. And that's such a great honor to do that. Well, we've been looking these past uh, Sunday evenings about some lessons, life lessons from Job. We've talked in our very first lesson about lessons from Job's pain. And we learned some things about suffering. We talked about lessons from Job's friends this past week. And so as we wrap this up this evening, I want to talk about lessons from Job's God. And this really is what the book of Job is about. The book of Job highlights a man by the name of Job. It highlights his journey of suffering. We walk through this and we see his pain. We feel his discouragement as his friends just continually just babble on and on about a bunch of nothing. But more than anything else, this is about God and one's faith with God and one's walk with God. And so the last time, last week, we, we ended by Job's conversations with his friends. There's 35 chapters, over 12,000 words of discussion between Job and his friends. And what we find from that is it finally comes to a conclusion. Job's friends end the conversations. In verse the 40 of chapter 31, <clears throat> the words of Job are ended. And then in the very next chapter, then the three men cease answering Job because he was righteous in his own eyes. But what follows this immediately is a fourth friend, a younger friend by the name of Elihu. He's very angry. He's angry at Job. He's angry at the other three. And for the next six chapters, he speaks. And just long, long speeches about how he sees things. And at the end of his speech, Job doesn't say anything. Unlike the other three friends in which Job replied each time, this time he doesn't reply. And what follows is God. God speaks for the first time to Job in this book. And what's so interesting as we look at this, we might anticipate Okay, here's what I think God might do to Job. And there's a series of things we'll look at that God doesn't do that on the surface may kind of surprise us. One of the very first things that comes out is that God doesn't comfort Job. Doesn't say, Job, I'm sorry you had to go through this. This was a little test between me and the devil. I knew you would win, but God doesn't say that. God also doesn't answer Job's questions. Job had lots of questions. And of course, the first and foremost question would be, why? And God doesn't answer that. And God doesn't explain why these things happen. 
far as we know, Job never knew about God and Satan having that conversation. He never knew that he was being used as an experiment to show that man will be faithful to God no matter what happens. God doesn't tell him that. God doesn't say he's done a great job with this. I'm proud of you. I knew you would do this. God doesn't say this. And God doesn't promise that things are going to get better. Just hang on there. You will not believe what I'm going to do for you. God doesn't say that. Nor does God give him a pass for all the things that Job had said. In chapter 38, verse 2, it says, Who is this? This is God speaking. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? In the CEV translation, it says, Why do you talk so much when you know so little? Peterson puts it this way. He says, why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? And these are God's words to Job. And so what begins here is that we see that he's being asked about, are you in a position to question me? Because God will say to Job in chapter 38, verse 3, will you instruct me? Can you imagine Somebody who's like in his first grade sitting down with somebody with a PhD and said, now you sit down here and I'm going to be the teacher. That would never happen. And then, can you understand what I do? Because there God says in chapter 40, verse 1, will you contend with me? The word contend means argue. Are you going to argue with God? And then, can you really understand who I am? And are you going to correct me? You are right, and God is wrong. Now, all of this, at the very surface, as God first speaks to Job, reminds Job, reminds us of our position. Because very similar to the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah would say in Isaiah 29, 16, Shall the potter be considered as equal with the clay? That what is made should say to his maker, he did not make me, or what is formed say to him who formed it, he has no knowledge. Or a little bit later in the same book, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker, an earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth, will the clay say to the potter, what are you doing? Jesus said it this way in Matthew, as he talked about how to pray. Pray this way, our Father who art in heaven. And one of the things the book of Job does as God speaks, it reminds us of our position and of his position. And so as God talks to Job, there's going to be 77 questions that he's going to ask him. And these questions are intended to open the eyes of Job. Chapter 38 now, let's just run through some of these basic things. God will ask Job, were you there? Chapter 8, 38 verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. In other words, when I started creation, where were you, Job? Of course, Job didn't exist back then. Or we can go to other questions. Have you ever in your life, will be asked. Look in chapter 38 and verse 31. There the Bible says, uh, verse 12, excuse me, chapter 38, verse 12. Have you ever in your life commanded the morning? You stop and think about that. There's been some times I'm awake at three at night. I can't sleep. I wish I could get up. I wish I could just say, sunrise, let's get about the day. 
I can't command the morning. Job cannot command the morning. Look at verse 16, if you will. Have you ever entered into the springs of the sea? Verse 17 at the end. Or have you ever seen the gates of the deep darkness, it says? Verse 18. Have you understood the expanse of the earth? Tell me if you know all of this. He'll say in verse 22 that... Have you ever entered into the storehouse of snow? As if God has a big warehouse, says snow on there. And have you ever been up there? Do you know these things, he's asking him. And then comes this question, can you? Look in chapter 38, if you will, verse 31. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades? Verse 32. Can you lead forth a constellation? Verse 34, can you lift up your voice to the clouds? Verse 35, can you send forth lightning, he says. Chapter, same chapter, verse 39, can you hunt the prey for the lions? Chapter 39, verse 10, can you bind the wild ox in the furrow with ropes? Can you do these things? You want to ask me these things, can you do these things? Do you know, he asked, chapter 39, verse 1, do you know the time the mountain goat gives birth? Or is it by your understanding? Chapter 39, verse 26 and verse 27. Is it by your understanding that the hawk soars? Is it at your command, verse 27, that the eagle mounts up and makes his nest on high? And, and, and as he's going through this, Job has to be humble. I can't do these things. I don't know these things. These things are beyond me, but every time, God can. God can. God was there. God can do these things. God does have the understanding. God does know. But Job doesn't. And what follows are 77 questions about the world we live in. It begins by talking about creation. The forming of the universe. And then he talks about oceans. And then he talks about the making of a day. And then he talks about light. And then he talks about weather. He'll talk about rain and snow and thunder and all those things. He'll talk about stars. And then he ends this long section of questions about animals. He'll talk about feeding of the lions and the ravens, the mountain goat, the wild donkey, the wild ox, the ostrich, the horse. He'll talk about the behemoth. Now, I think when God said that in chapter 39, verse 19 to 25, Job knew knew what that was. We don't know what a behemoth is. Scholars have guessed maybe it's a hippopotamus, maybe it's some other animal. God said the name, I think Job knew exactly what that was. Or the Leviathan in chapter 41. And what God does is he's pulling examples from the observable world. This is the world in which Job lived in. Job would have seen these kind of animals. Job would have looked up at night and seen the stars. Job would have experienced the weather that God described there. But, but, but with all these things surrounding Job, Job could not answer these questions. I don't know how you make a day. I don't know how you send the stars. I don't know when a mountain goat gives birth. I don't know the answer to these things. And I want you to see as God is questioning Job and questioning Job and questioning Job, it's leading to something. But I want us to see how valuable that is. What's also interesting is that he pulls things that's from Job's observable world. There's a lot of things that were unobservable God doesn't ask about. 
He doesn't ask about the black holes in space, because Job wouldn't know anything about that. He doesn't say anything about DNA, chromosomes, atoms, electrons. How do you make red blood cells? Why do everybody in this area have sinus issues? Do you know what a sinus is? He doesn't ask Job those questions, which he very much could have. But then there's even greater questions, spiritual questions. He doesn't ask him. Should the wicked be blessed at all? Jesus says God sends the rain upon the righteous and the unrighteous. Do you allow free will to hurt an innocent person? Do you do that? Which prayers should be answered? How much mercy do you give someone at judgment day? When is the appointed time for someone to die? God holds that. Should a righteous person suffer? And when should Jesus come to end all this? See, those are the heavy questions that Job could not even fathom. God just asked him, look around the world you live in. Look at these birds. Look at these trees. Look at the stars. Look at all that. You can't answer these things. Do you think you could even answer the greater things? And all these things will help Job to understand. He really didn't understand a lot of things. Now, from this, Job's faith opened his eyes. And his faith led him to change. And three things come from this. The first thing, he saw God in a way he had never seen God before. Go with me now to chapter 42, the last chapter. And let's grab the first five verses. Job 42 and the first five verses. After God finishes these 77 questions... And can you imagine being asked these questions by God, and you're just sitting there shaking your head? I have no idea. I have no idea how you do these things. I have no idea how you run this universe. These things are all around me. They're a part of my life, but I have no idea how you do what you do. Chapter 42, then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have declared things which I do not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. That is our purpose of every worship. Whether we're singing a song, we're praying a prayer, we're reading a passage, we're preaching God's word, is that for you to see God. And what he saw, he saw that God can do all things. Things clearly beyond him. Things he did not understand. God can do all things. He also saw that God does not have to explain to us why. He doesn't owe us an explanation. And right here again, we need to remind ourselves how often when tragedy happens, somebody might say, well, why, God? Why did this happen? We need to be mindful of Job's words here. God does not have to answer us. God does not owe us an explanation. And God does not need our approval or our permission because he is the Lord. But the second thing Job saw, I believe he saw himself as he never saw himself before. In chapter 42, look at verse 6. He says, therefore, I retract. I repent in dust and ashes. 
What Job is saying there is, I wish I could take back all those speeches I said. Even though they were directed to my friends, they were pointed to you, God, and I, I shouldn't have said those things. I now understand who you are. You are God. And I'm not going to question you anymore. One of my favorite writers is a guy that by the name of Philip Yancey. I've got about every book he ever wrote. I just love the way he writes. He's a brilliant writer. And he wrote a book about the book of Job called Disappointment with God. Been very helpful for me in the past when I first started studying this book. But in here, Yancey makes a statement that I want you to notice. He says, one bold message in the book of Job is that you can say anything to God. Throw him your grief, your anger, your doubt, your bitterness, your betrayal, your disappointment. He can absorb them all. You can't deny your feelings or make them disappear, so you might as well express them to God. God can deal with every human response save one. He cannot abide the response to ignore him or treat him as though he does not exist. I totally disagree with that. When I read that, I say, you have not read the end of the book of Job. When Job said those things to God, he realized... I wish I could cover my mouth. Who am I to challenge you? Who am I to demand you give me an answer? Who am I to say, why did you do this to me? And I think when we understand those things, it helps us to appreciate who God is and who we are. And then Job saw number three. He saw that things that happen, one may never understand in life. But that doesn't change who God is, nor our relationship with him. I mean, never understand these things. Job may have never understood why all his animals were stolen away and all his servants died. He may never have understood why all his children died. Yet that did not change that God is good. That did not change his relationship with God. Sometimes the darkness lasts a long, long time. And that's just reality. Sometimes God's silence makes us wonder. You know, when I study the book of Job, it, it, it's a marvel to me that God allowed these long conversations to last this long. Why didn't he speak in chapter 5 or chapter 4? Why didn't God immediately speak? He didn't do that. He let all these conversations go and it went south and got real ugly with each other. And then the Lord spoke. Sometimes others quit when they ought to endure. That happens even within our families, as Job's wife had trouble with that. And sometimes it's hard to see beyond the immediate. Again, the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that we look at things not seen. We're looking to the invisible. We look into the things that's going to last, not the temporary. The book of Job ends, the last eight verses tell us what happened to him. And had we not had that, I think our question would be, well, whatever happened to this guy? And we see that God doubled the number of animals he had in verse 32. God gave him, once again, the exact number of children. And in the same order, same order of boys, same order of girls, same number, ten more children. But when the book is over, it's not about what did Job get after this is all over. What's really about is what became of him because of these things. One writer wrote it this way, Charles Stanley. He said, there's nothing worse than a life filled with adversity from which nothing good ever comes. 
If our priorities are ease, comfort, and pleasure, we will have little tolerance for adversity. What the book ends by showing is that Satan was proven wrong. Job did not curse God. Job did not walk away from God. Job remained with the Lord. And so as we wrap this up, I'm going to share with you just some life lessons we ought to learn from the book of Job. And again, putting all these together to help us. Help us to be with each other. Help us in our own journey. Help us to be a voice for other people. Number one, we need to appreciate that the goodness of God is not based upon how joyous or blessed our lives are. It's mean that God is not good to me because not every day is sunny. Not every moment in my life is happy. That does not mean God is not good. God is good, period. Second thing we need to appreciate is others are thinking about you without you realizing that. God was thinking about Job and brought Job up to Satan. Satan's, or Job's friends from afar had heard about him. They were thinking about him. And how many times is somebody in this congregation thinking about you, praying about you, and you may not even know that? That's just a marvel in my book. Another lesson we ought to learn. In a moment of suffering, it's easy to forget your blessings. I mean, think about that. Job had ten children. And they all were grown up. They all had their own homes. And what a blessing that is. And sometimes we forget about all the blessings in a moment of rain and in the hardships that happen to us. Another lesson we need to appreciate is knowing the cause of suffering is not as important as knowing how to follow the Lord through it. You know that Psalms chapter 23, verse 4, Yea, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. God does not intend for us to stay in the valley. God does not intend for us to dwell in the valley. We're journeying through that, and what's more important is learning how to do that than what caused these things. Another lesson we learn. What happens to us on the outside does not have to set the tone for our insides. Our friends out there in the community do not understand that. If it's cloudy outside, they're cloudy on the inside. If it's sunny outside, they're sunny on the inside. We need to see as disciples, no matter what happens on the outside, we choose what kind of attitude, what kind of mood, what kind of spirit we're going to have. And that's based upon our walk with Jesus. Number six, our suffering will seem like nothing once we reach the other side. We won't even hardly mention it. It won't matter because there we will be. And again, those things will help us as we think about how we journey through this. Another lesson, how we conduct ourselves in storms can be a great example for others who are watching us. There's always somebody watching you. If you're in a home with children, they see how you handle the suffering. If you're married, your mate sees how you're handling suffering. Within the congregation, we see how you're handling suffering. And oftentimes, your example, how you have that, your faith, can be a great encouragement for others who also go through similar things. Another lesson we learn here, suffering can be one of the greatest things to happen to us if it brings us closer to the Lord. That is the bottom line, being right with Jesus Christ. If, and if the, wor the world has to smack me to wake me up, so be it. If I have to spend a night with pigs for that to happen, so be it. If it takes something, a very drastic health problem for me to wake up to see Jesus, so be it. Because the most important thing is not my health, it's not my wealth, it's my salvation in Jesus. You lose your soul, you've lost everything. 
We need to see that suffering can be a great reminder of that. Number nine, without a foundation in Christ, suffering will destroy a person. That's Jesus' point at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Two men built their houses, one on the rock, one on the sand. When the storms came, the man without a foundation, his house was destroyed. His house was his life. It was his faith. It's everything he had. And then finally, God is always, always right. And so lots of questions in the book of Job that just are not answered, but all to help us as we see some of these things. Well, back, I was looking for a hymn. In fact, I wrote about this little hymn book. This hymn book was put out in 1914, and I was looking for some, something, one of our hymn books, so I ran across this the other day and pulled that out and got an article I wrote about this coming down the road here. But, you know, one of the best things I have found personally that helps is thinking about some of our hymns and what to tie into our lesson this morning as we think about singing, the value of singing. Because our hymns connect us to scriptures, which connects us to Jesus. Consider safe in the arms of Jesus. And you think about those words. What a delight it is to be safe in the arms of Jesus. It doesn't matter what the storm is around me, I am safe in the arms of Jesus. Or how about this song? Does Jesus care? And we know the answer. We know the answer not because of that hymn. We know the answer because of what the Bible teaches. Yes, he cares. And so sometimes we may think, nobody in my family cares. Where I work, nobody cares. Maybe, sadly, even in the church, nobody knows or nobody cares. Does Jesus care? And the answer is always yes. Or how about this hymn? Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Faith is the victory that overcomes Satan. Faith is the victory that gets you through suffering. Faith is the victory. What a powerful, powerful hymn that is. And sometimes when we can't think of a passage, we may go to a hymn. And that hymn may just remind us of great truths that we know and how they can be helpful. How about farther along? Think about this with Job. Farther along we'll understand. Farther along we'll understand why. Maybe not now. Maybe not even on this side of the world. It may be when we're on the other side with God. But farther along we'll know all about it. Or how about because he lives? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Again, a great, great reminder. Or how about, it is well with my soul. Do you know the background of this song? Written by Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford had a little boy, four years old, named Horatio Jr., who died of scarlet fever. Two years later, he sent his family on a boat to go to England. They were going to take a vacation. He had some business dealings in Chicago. He had to tie up. Then he was going to catch the next boat. As the boat was sailing across the ocean, it hit another boat, and in 12 minutes it went down. All four of his daughters drowned. His wife survived. He took the next boat to go to comfort her. And when they crossed that very place where that boat went down, the captain called them to the bridge and said, this is the spot where the boat went down. According to the story, Spafford went into his cabin, took out a piece of paper, and wrote, it is well with my soul. And so that's our study. Makes us think about these things. Makes us remind ourselves that 
this is not heaven. Heaven is the next side. But how God has given us this powerful, powerful book, book of Job, and sometimes because of its length and because of all these discussions in there with his friends, we kind of shy away from it sometimes. And sometimes we think uh, it's just too heavy to understand. By hoping these last three lessons, we've been able to put some th things together to see how powerful it is and how it makes a great lesson for us. We live in a world that's broken, and it will never be fixed here. We live in a world of suffering, and there will always be suffering here. No matter what politicians say, no matter what laws are passed, there will always be pain, suffering, and death on this side of heaven. And that becomes our world. That becomes us. And through books like this, God helps us. He helps us to understand this is how my people need to be. And it helps us to understand the one who's in charge. He's not like me. He can ask me questions, and I have no idea what he's talking about. He can ask me simple things, like, how does a bird fly? And I could say flap his wings, but how he does that, I have no idea. God does. And if God can know the simple bird, he can know complex things, the invisible things, and the spiritual things that will navigate us through the world of suffering to be home safely with him. And so I hope this has been helpful for you in some ways. This evening, if you're not a Christian, you need to become one. How hard it is to walk through this life without God. Without God, this world is really upside down. It makes no sense. It's no answers. There's no hope. There's no future. But with God, with God, even on the darkest days, there's a little bright star called Jesus Christ. And that Lord and his promises and his salvation changes everything. If you haven't been baptized in Jesus, you need to be because that's what God wants you to do. He sent Jesus down here not to answer all these questions. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. And then as we go through this life, there will be questions. And I hope that as we've seen this lesson here, it helps us to realize there are times I just need to hold to God's hand. I don't know the answers. He may not even tell me the answers. But he's in charge, and he is always good. If we can help you, won't you come as we stand, as we sing.